Taste Buds, today's season-ending House of Carbs brought to us by our friends at Aria Resort and Casino. Taste Buds, there's the Vegas you're used to, and then there's Aria Resort and Casino. Aria embodies distinction. From technology-advanced rooms to signature moments in the Aria Sky Suites and Aria Tower Suites, located in the center of the Las Vegas Strip, Aria offers illuminating experiences with their award-winning accommodations, best-in-class amenities, and unique tableside dining unlike anything you've experienced. Visit Aria.com to see how they Vegas. Hungry Homies, today's House of Carbs also brought to us by Oris Watches. For over 115 years, Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. These are Swiss watches. Staying true to a rich heritage, Oris is one of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. And the watches come in four themes, diving watches, aviation watches, motorsport, and culture. So Oris has a watch for everyone and every occasion. Shop the many different unique styles at oris.ch slash carbs. Taste buds by Hungry Homies, my culinary comrades, all of the victual varsity out there. Welcome. We've done it. It's the last show of 2019. House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people. By the Hungry People on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm your hungry host, Joe House. My taste buds, we had to go big for this last show of the year. Our guest today is the food and drink editor of Esquire Magazine, Jeff Gordonier. Jeff has uh, two things that are relevant to us. Both a book that's an incredible book called Hungry, Eating, Road Tripping, and Risking It All with the Greatest Chef in the World. He tagged along with Rene Redzepi of Noma, the greatest restaurant in the world over the past decade, on an inspirational journey by Rene to try and reinvent Noma. And Jeff also recently authored in Esquire magazine the 22 best new restaurants in America. Let's get in that belly with Jeff Gordonier. Oh, my culinary comrades, what a way to end 2019. We had to go out with a bang. The guest today, he is the food and drinks editor of Esquire magazine, a frequent contributor to the New York Times. For our purposes here at the end of 2019, he's published a couple works. One one thing that that's recent that he worked on through the balance of 2019 it's an article uh, uh, comp- that, that represents the 22 best new re- restaurants in America in 2019. We like to end our year with the superlatives, and we've got that covered. But for also for our purposes, he he worked on something here that really represents kind of the the end of the decade, and really covers a um, path, a, an adventure that he went on. That is so up the House of Carbs alley, and we're so happy to have him on and make his acquaintance because we want to be lifelong friends. Jeff Gordonier, welcome to House of Thanks Carbs. Thanks so Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 Jeff, we want to talk about your book. We want to talk about your travels in 2019, all the great places that you ate. But I want to start with your Instagram, if, if, if you will indulge us. Yeah, people people love the Instagram. People love it. I, I didn't I you know, I only started doing that like three years ago and my wife made me do it. The whole time I was at the New York Times on at the food section, I didn't do Instagram, which was just stupid of me. It was just a wasted moment. So I, I only really launched into it three years ago, but it seems to have picked up steam lately. Well, cause it it's a it the people love to see food. They want to eat with their eyes and 
your that that your um your tag is at the Gordonier, and it's G O R D I N I E R. But today's picture is what caught my attention, which uh was a a beautiful uh photo of a seafood tower. And oh yeah, it's it's Christmas time. It's time for seafood towers. I love a seafood tour. I, I actually went to Flora Bar last night, or actually for lunch yesterday, with Alessio Bax, who's a classical piano player, who I interviewed for the Times years ago, and we became friends, and um, he's just really, really into food. Like He travels all around the world playing classical concerts, and he really appreciates a good meal. Like One of the things I like um, about get, getting lunch with Alessio was he was like, you know, let's get... 10 or 12 things, you know? <laughs> what? So he's, like he's that a spirit. That's legitimately the spirit of this podcast, the house of carbs podcast. That, that, that is the, the, the animating force. We want to try everything that's out there. And to me, this is part of what, um, commends a seafood tower. It is an extravagance. It is an indulgence, but it also, covers so many different realms of the of the raw bar experience uh what a perfect time of year for it yes it is a time of bounty and a time of gifts so to me the seafood tower represents the extravagance of the season yes by the way i hope there's not any weird beeping for your podcast listeners but my son toby is texting me like why are you not picking me up at school this is the reality of my life I'm saying this because like people see the Instagram and they're like, wow, man, you live this glamorous life. But the reality is I usually work from home in my pajamas and, and kind of shuttle my kids to and fro play dates, basketball games, piano recital, things like that, you know, just picking them up at school. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes it's important to point out. It's like the, the people see the food writers as these uh, avatars of, you know, kind of opulence. And it, you know, I mean, there's no denying there's, it's a fun job, but we're, we're just like, most of the time I'm just like desperate for free time and money. Well, <laughs> yeah, you're on the grind like the rest of us, but that I'm glad that you, you clarified because that wasn't necessarily the case for the first part of the decade. The book that you, that you published this year, it's called Hungry eating, road tripping, and risking it all with the greatest chef in the world. And you went on an excursion that is literally a once in a lifetime excursion. And it was like a one person excursion because like only one person can ride shotgun to such a thing. Can we please talk about that story? It's an incredible story. How? So we're talking and just to set the stage, um, and we were fortunate enough to have uh, Danish chef Rene Redzepi on House of Carbs. We had him on last year when his book, uh, The Noma Guide to Fermentation, came out. He and David Zilber were in California. I was out there at the same time. They graciously agreed to come on the podcast. Um, I hope they would agree to do it again. But, you know, I, I was so taken with him um, with for, for a whole variety of reasons. How did you make his acquaintance? back in, in the early 2012, 13, 14 range? Well, I was writing about food for the New York Times, and I was also going through a divorce. And I was, um, you know, doing my job with with uh, great attention and vigor, one hopes, but I was also in kind of a sad time just because of the, you know, the split. It's 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 brutal to go through a divorce. So I it, weirdly, the, the same week... That I moved out of the house where my first wife and my two older children lived. Um, I got this email basically from Rene Redzepi. I mean, it was through his publishing house for one of his cookbooks, but basically he was like, let's meet for coffee in New York. So the greatest chef in the world was like, let's meet for coffee, you know, um, purely because I was at the times, I'm sure. But I mean, he seemed to like my writing too. And, um, I, I was just, I was just in a, depressed, man. I was just like in a toxic place in my life. And, um, I almost blew it off, <laughs> but I, I ended up, um, meeting him and he was like wildly charismatic and just kind of almost like 
magnetic in the way like a cult leader would be, you know? <laughs> and, and he was like saying, dude, you and I should go to Mexico. We should, we should go on a trip together. We should travel around Mexico. And that sounded totally insane and impossible to me. Cause I just thought, you know, my editors don't have the budget for that right now and everything. But on the other hand, it sounded like an amazing thing to do when you're going through a divorce. You know, I thought this could be just the ticket, man. So, um, long story short, I found an editor who said yes to that. I traveled around Mexico with Renee and that led to this kind of friendship, this kind of relationship where he would text me with almost like challenges. They were almost like Tony Robbins style challenges. Like, you know, will you walk on the hot coals kind of thing, you know? And so, um, one of the first things, you know, I got an email just saying you have a table at Noma in Copenhagen and I hadn't asked for a table at Noma and suddenly I bought a cheap ticket and just flew to Denmark. So the book is about these, these adventures that sort of unfolded from that moment. We started, you know, I went to Australia for Noma, Mexico. I mean, for Noma, Australia, I traveled all over Mexico with Renee leading up to Noma, Mexico. I went fishing above the Arctic circle in Norway, uh, with the main fisherman he has, Roddy Sloan. I would not recommend Norway above the Arctic circle in February, by the way. Um, and you know, so it, as I started going on all these adventures with Renee, um, learning about food, searching for flavor, getting sort of intoxicated by the whole Noma mission, I found myself changing, you know, like I found that I was rebounding from this kind of dark place I was in. So, um, it's the story, it's a portrait, the book is a portrait of Rene Rezepi, the chef, but it's also sort of the story of how your, a person's life can be changed, um, by someone else. Yeah, I, I'm still kind of stuck at the starting point, which is <laughs> an, an email through a kind of a publicist that says, come meet me for coffee, and then an invitation to go to Mexico, which is kind of no small thing, right? Because all he had in mind was having kind of a single accomplice, right? He, he It wasn't a great big band of people that he was assembling. He wasn't assembling a documentary team or a team of writers. It was a person that you'd never met before saying, let's have coffee pr- quite, quite likely in furtherance of one of the cookbooks he had out, but also with this ulterior motive of establishing an upfront relationship with you to see about your interest in traveling with him, but like traveling with somebody yeah. you don't, you don't know. You didn't, you never met him before. I know it's weird. It's almost like he had scoped me out. It's, it's a strange thing. I mean, and you know, in the beginning, certainly I didn't have the idea of doing a book about him. And I don't think Renee had the idea of my doing a book about him that way. He just thought maybe we could do this trip and I could write an article about his love for Mexico, I suppose, but it wasn't meant to be this macro thing. It wasn't meant to be this adventure that would last it essentially for four years, but uh, yeah, um, it did. It led to that. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing though. You know, I mean, if you read the book, you know, you, you'll see people, your audience will see that. Like as we got to Mexico, like Danny Bowen for mission Chinese food, the chef was just there. Like he just joined. Right. And then Enrique Olvera from Mexico just joined and Alejandro Ruiz and Eric Werner. Rene Rezepi has this kind of dynamism that creates an orbit of, of people around him, you know, like, so chefs and writers and thinkers and, uh, you know, wine people and stuff are drawn to him in a way that's very interesting. So I was captivated by that too. And I guess I, I became part of the orbit for a while. Um, right. It's, it's the, the yeah, and I just, you know, I thought, I thought part of it was here's a major cultural figure. Yes. For some weird reason, I seem to have access to him, right? Right. And it's sort of like having access to a Muhammad Ali or a David Bowie or somebody at a pivotal time in their careers. So I thought, if no one else is doing this, like no one else is writing this book, I, I should write a book about this time because he's an incredibly influential, interesting individual, and he's going through probably the most creative phase of his career. So... Um, it just seemed like 
this opportunity, it sounds weird, but life is sometimes like that. It was like this opportunity just fell into my lap. And it's not just the opportunity, it's the the relationship component, because like, what if you guys didn't, didn't hit it off? Then you would have just probably written an article about going down to Mexico. He, he, he'd clearly, he had to have done something to sort of apprehend, uh, before actually meeting you, he had an anticipation that you might be the right guy for this particular adventure. And then I think you're, it has to be this, um, aspect, the magnetism, the red, the red Zeppi magnetism. Like once you're in, you're in. And it's clear that when he says, I want to do this thing, everybody drops whatever it is that they're doing to be part of the thing. If he invites, if he extends the invite, then everybody says, oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. That's what, that's what we do. That's how the way it works. Yeah. That's the thing. Like other, other people from his crew have told me the same thing, like Malcolm Livingston, who's from the Bronx originally. He There's a chapter about Malcolm in the book. He's told me the same thing, that Renee will just text him sometimes and say, I'm going to Oaxaca, join us. And and Malcolm be like, I can't. I have a baby daughter. You know, my my wife is practicing. Malcolm's wife is a dancer. He's, he's like, she's in rehearsals. I, I can't do it right now. I've got a, a And Renee will be like, no. Come to Oaxaca. You don't understand. It will be very special. <laughs> and, and pretty soon it becomes hard to say no. So like at a certain point, as you see in the book, I quit my job at the New York Times and just kind of joined the circus, you know. So I made myself fully available to these stray texts where Renee would say, I'm, we're going to be in Merida in the Yucatan Peninsula in a week. Join us. So I would just go on you know, orbits or one of these, you know, sites where you get cheap tickets and I find a series of cheap flights and I just show up there. (laughs) All right, my culinary comrades, quick break from this unbelievable conversation with Jeff Cordonier. I want to tell you about Aria Resort. Not that you needed an excuse to visit Vegas, but Aria Resort and Casino has everything from corner views in every room and award-winning dining to poolside pampering and five-star spa treatments. Aria embodies distinction from technology-advanced rooms to signature moments in the Aria Sky Suites and the Aria Tower Suites, the Forbes Travel Guide five-star rated Aria Sky Suites are an unrivaled hotel experience offering a level of service and personalization unlike anything in Las Vegas. Hungry homies, you know this. The city's entertainment is not limited to the stages, casinos, or pools. Aria is bringing the show to your dining table as well through their collection of chefs, restaurateurs, and unique dining concepts. For example... Visit the Jean-Georges Steakhouse for specialty items like certified Kobe A5 and tableside smoked Wagyu brisket. Or take in the sights at the Bardo Brasserie, including a holiday classic, Beef Wellington. Oh my God, I'm dying. Carbone Captains will guide you through dinner with Italian-American masterpieces like the Dover Piccata. And at Julian Serrano Tapas, share authentic plates amongst friends, including the Pata Negra and the newest edition at Aria. Catch brings epic renditions of Asian influence, sushi, seafood, and steak. All the excitement is located at the center of the Las Vegas Strip only at Aria Resort and Casino. Visit Aria.com to see how they Vegas. Taste buds, get a taste of paradise when you visit Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades on Florida's Paradise Coast. Known for white sand beaches, luxurious hotels, and the world-famous Everglades National Park, Florida's Paradise Coast is also one of the top dining destinations in the U.S. Award-winning chefs and restaurants are gathering down there on Florida's Paradise Coast to take advantage of the area's year-round excellent weather, access to fresh ingredients, as you would expect, and diverse culinary culture. Do you love seafood? Hungry homies, I know you love seafood. Shrimp, scallops, 
Mahi, Snapper, and Grouper are all caught fresh every single day in the Gulf of Mexico and served in these Paradise Coast restaurants. Paradise is also the stone crab capital of the world, so be sure to get yourself a bite of those succulent claws. Stone crab season kicks off mid-October with the annual Stone Crab Festival. We're right in the middle of it. It winds down mid-May. Get yourself some delicious stone crab crab claws. Are you feeling adventurous? Well, you can order yourself some Florida alligator or some rustic Florida fare. Paradise Coast restaurants utilize farm-to-table ingredients, seasonal menus, and offer options for many dietary restrictions without sacrificing flavor. Discover the citrus-spiked dishes, artisan cocktails, craft breweries, traditional southern comfort foods, and more that make Florida's Paradise Coast a must-travel location for any serious food person. Learn more at DineInParadise.com. That's DineInParadise.com. Think about how the universe works. The timing for you couldn't have been better. I mean, it it was a risk to quit your job. It was a risk to leave behind, you know, your your, your kids. Each time that you went on these adventures, your your kids were not joining you. Well, sometimes they did, but yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear. But yeah. <laughs> just, just like the alignment, the time of your life and the time of his life and the sort of creative fervor that he clearly was, was going through. And I, we, we didn't um, set this up at the outset. So Renee Redzepi, the, 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 the principal behind arguably the, the greatest restaurant of the 21st century, is that overstating it? I don't think it is overstating it. It's certainly the most influential restaurant of the last decade. So we're talking about Noma in Copenhagen, Denmark. And he, in 2014, after receiving restaurant of the world acclaim, you know, top restaurant in the world for several years in a row, decided to shut down that version of Noma and go do the thing that we, you, Jeff and I are, are talking about here. And Jeff ended up being along for the ride. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, what was interesting is he decided not to coast. You know, and I think this is an interesting kind of lesson for creative people of all ages and entrepreneurial people, you know, is that even though he was at the top of his game, considered the most influential chef in the world, the best restaurant in the world, he was like, okay, screw it. Let's shut it down. You know, he literally closed the restaurant, stripped it bare, moved the restaurant to a new space that looked like some junkyard. And um, in the meantime, you know, did the pop-up, did a pop-up in Japan, a pop-up in Australia, and a pop-up in Mexico. And these aren't, these aren't like one night with three members of his team. You know, this is, this means he flies the entire Noma team of like 90 to a hundred people to Sydney, to Tulum, their families as well, puts them up in that place for months and they live there for like three or four months and they put on a meal for usually seven or eight weeks. So they completely displace the team at Noma, the best restaurant in the world, and put them somewhere else and work with a whole new set of ingredients as kind of an exercise in team building and, you know, uh, flavor seeking, you know? So, I mean, there's not really anybody like that. You know, he takes, he takes risks that no one else is taking. And uh, I'm just so fascinated by like the logistics during this period. Did, did that, in, did the entire team, all, all 100 of the Noma folks, were they continuing to be employed? Were they in his, in the employee of Noma while he was doing his, his creative work, his creative research? Oh yeah, they were along for the ride too. Yeah, so yeah, they were not um, all cut loose. I mean, some people eventually would leave and do other projects, but during that time period, that's one reason it was such a financial risk. He was still, you know, he was still maintaining an entire staff. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's crazy. When he first told me he was doing this, man, I was like, "Are you okay?" You know, like 
why don't you just take the money that, you know, people are giving you money to eat at this restaurant. They're begging to eat there. You've changed the world in terms of the conversation about food. Why don't you just coast a little man? Like if it were me, I would just chill for a while, but for a, he can't for a little do while. that. He's like, he's just very restless. He's one of these people who cannot stand still. So, you know, already people are talking about whether he's going to do an, a new pop-up in 2020 or, or the year after or something. I have some theories. Well, let's, let's talk about what is he doing now? Because, you know, the, he, they have the fermentation lab. They made an enormous investment to build it and open it. That experimentation is an ongoing thing. Are, are, are people still eating at Noma right now? Yeah, they, I mean, they, they did build the new Noma. And they succeeded at that. It has a whole fermentation wing. It has a whole foraging wing. Um, and, you know, it, the reinvention is generally seen as a success. They have a much bigger space. They've been able to experiment more with the food. You know, they kind of re, they were like out of the running for this best restaurant in the world list for a few years because they didn't have a restaurant essentially, you know? So then they came back to being eligible for the list and they landed at number two right out of the gate. So they're right now they're considered number two best restaurant in the world. The general thinking, you know, the general buzz is that they'll be number one in 2020. And you know, I, it's a good question because I don't know what Renee does at that point, a restless person like this, someone who's always driven to change things up and blow things up. If they land at number one with this new Noma, then what, you know, I, I think he's probably going to want to start throwing some curveballs again. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. The fermentation lab all by itself was a kind of, of curveball. I mean, he's really innovating uh, on the food science frontier and, you know, um, may, maybe that's where, where his head will take him next. You know, I mean, fermentation is nothing new, of course. Fermentation is something we all encounter when we eat bread or cheese or wine or beer or vinegar, or soy sauce, kimchi, etc. Many, many things. Pickles. But, you know, as I describe it to people, people ask me all the time, man, they're like, why is Noma so special? What is it like to eat there? And I'm like, one way I describe it is that let's say you know all the colors in the spectrum, right? Red, blue, green, etc. What if you were suddenly to wake up one day and see a different color that you'd never seen before? And that color was integrated into a painting somehow. And you're like, whoa, there's another part of the rainbow I totally missed all these years, you know? That's what they're doing at Noma with flavor. They're finding kind of pathways of flavor that most of us human beings have never encountered. And they're doing that mostly through the fermentation by fermenting things that you didn't even know, you know, you could, you could ferment. You didn't know what you, and they don't even know what will happen to them when they transform them that way. And they're also doing that through the foraging. You know, they send people out into the wilderness. They find these greens and mushrooms and fruits and, you know, berries and, uh, herbs and all these things that many people didn't know they could eat, or maybe they ate millennia ago, but we've forgotten that you could eat them. And so, you know, when you taste these things, like you taste a splash of the fermented sauce with an herb that's like mint, but different, and you've never tasted it before. It's like, you know, it's like an explosion in your mouth. Like you're, you're, it's not just delicious. It's new. It's new to you, you know, and that, is priceless. I mean, that's part of, that's part of why that's a big reason why people keep going back to Noma. They don't just go once they go many, many times because each time you go, it's kind of psychedelic. You know, it's like your, your mind is, you, you have consciousness expansion. I mean, I'm a weirdo dude. I've been seven times. Okay. And I cannot afford it. Trust me. But I mean, I pay my own way and everything. And the reason I go is because I, it's, this is going to sound super pretentious, but it seems to change me each time I eat there. It sounds like a life force kind of event, right? The invigoration of it, totally. the energizing effect, like rethinking your place in the world. And that's the miracle of your relationship with him. And I, I, I can't get over it, <laughs> how it started and then 
um, each sort of aspect of the adventure, I want to talk about a little bit of the nuts and bolts. At what point during the relationship and, and as you started going on more, you know, a couple of these trips, did you think I, I really ought to be sort of capturing this? Did, was that your instinct always as a journalist or did, did it start feeling like this could be, a, a, you know, kind of an epic saga kind of thing? Well, I took a lot of notes in Mexico because I was doing an article. And then I took notes when I first ate at Noma because it was, you know, I figured this is something I'd want to remember. I didn't intend to write a book. I just thought I'm going to take notes about this experience, you know. And then the, when I thought it was a book was when I went back to Denmark Again, I just went on my own dime. The New York Times wasn't sending me. And, and while I was there, Renee told me, he, he basically put me in the basket of a bicycle. Like they have these baskets in Denmark in the front of a bike. Like their babies will sit in there and they'll put their groceries in. So he had me sit in there. <laughs> and he drove me around, rode me around Copenhagen on a bike and took me to this Chernobyl-like junk heap where he intended to build the new Noma. And... And that's when I thought, he's crazy, he's kind of a visionary, this is a book. You know, like if you were writing a book about Dylan, Bob Dylan, you'd want to write about when Bob Dylan went electric, and when he created Blonde on Blonde, and you know, when he went into hiding with the band up in Woodstock, etc. Like, you'd want there to be drama, right? So, that's what I felt. I was like, here's the here's the drama. I finally have a challenge, you know, like he's, he's risking it all. He's, he's possibly destroying the restaurant, um, after coming out of poverty, coming out of obscurity and working so hard to create it, he might just wreck it, you know? Right. And, and I thought that's a book, that's a book that now I have to move. So I started taking notes crazily. I wrote something about the news for the New York times at that moment, of course, but um, that's the moment when I thought, okay, I'm going to dig deeper. And eventually, you know, it just expanded. I also, it was very important to me that the book not just be like hero worship, because I think that's boring and that's fake, but also because I think we're at the end, we're at the tail end of a, of a period of worshiping these celebrity chefs, you know? And I thought a, a, a smarter thing to do would, and a more, and just to be something with more integrity as a reporter would be to capture him in his humanity, you know? And, and so I wanted the book to show his flaws and to show him falling apart basically and getting angry and getting frustrated and trying to be a parent. He has three daughters, you know, trying to be husband, trying to get rest, trying to get exercise. Like I really wanted you to see him as a kind of normal messed up person who also happens to have these superhero talents, but is, at the same time, just a human being. So to do that, I felt like I had to spend a lot of time with him. I had to really just kind of uh, be a fly on the wall. <laughs> in the third act of the book, as you probably saw, he kind of falls apart. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, th this is, I think, um, a, a wonderful time to direct all of our hungry homies out there, the culinary comrades. You got to go get this book. We're, this this show is going up pre-Christmas. Pre so right now is the time. It's hungry, colon, eating. Well, the colon isn't in the title. I'm just trying to get this title out. My hungry colon. <laughs> yes, I mean, that's, as I said it, I, I thought, oh, you know, it, it kind of has a, a meaning. That might be my book. That might be the House of Carbs book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's <laughs> Jeff Gordonier's book is hungry, eating, road tripping, and risking it all with the greatest chef in the world. So there's still time before Christmas. Uh, culinary comrades, go out and get the book, read it yourself, get one for yourself, get one for your loved ones. Now's the time. The holidays are a great time for this delicious read. Hungry Homies, another quick break from this conversation with Jeff Gordon here. Have to tell you about Aura's watches for over 150 years. Oris has been making purely mechanical watches in Holstein, Switzerland. They're staying true to a rich watchmaking heritage. One of the few Swiss watch companies to remain independently owned and operated. Because of this independence, Oris has the freedom to follow its own path. 
They're focused on bringing change for the better, which means making choices that are ecologically, socially, and financially responsible. And that includes ocean conservation and recycled plastic partnerships. Of course, that is along with, or is a century-long commitment to making inventive, high-functioning, Swiss-made watches that serve a real purpose and prices that make sense. The best possible watch for the money. It's holiday season. Go look at the reasonable prices and check out all of their offerings in their four themes. They have diving watches, aviation watches, motorsport watches, culture watches. Aorus watches are made for everyday wear. Aorus is a longtime favorite of people who know watches because of what they represent. It's a great time to buy a new watch, but the holiday season, Hungry Homies, is quite possibly the most perfect opportunity to gift someone with a suave and affordable new watch. Check out ORIS.CH slash carbs to find the Oris watch that matches your style. It's not Oris.com, my hungry homies. It's ORIS.CH slash carbs. Jeff, I have you. You just spent the last 12 months crisscrossing the United States eating delicious meals. We must talk about that also because we're wrapping up and putting a bow on 2019 with your uh, excursion, 22 best new restaurants that you encountered. And we want folks to eat great in 2020. So let's give them some good advice. Um, And I want to begin with an enormous expression of gratitude because you were so thoughtful about my hometown, Washington, D.C. You like the food here. Yeah. So it's happening. Uh, it's happening. It's 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 for a whole variety of reasons, uh, socioeconomic and and otherwise. Washington has interesting food, probably for the first time in its existence. I mean, we're, we're you know, this is something that's <laughs> kind of come on in the last 15 years or so. Um, but a, a genuine sort of creative class of uh, chefs and, and restaurateurs here in Washington. Um, let, can, can you uh, describe the two restaurants that you ate here and how they ended up on your list? Yeah, it's a good question because um, our number one restaurant of the year, Seven Reasons, is in Washington, D.C., our Esquire Best New Restaurant, number one. And uh, and our Esquire Chef of the Year 2019 is Kwame Anwulachi, who is also working in, in Washington, D.C. He has a restaurant called Kith and Kin that appears on the list as well. So Chef of the Year and Restaurant of the Year. It's a big year for D.C. I, I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, certainly hasn't happened at Esquire. And, and um, you know, Seven Reasons completely intoxicated me. Sometimes when a restaurant is this good, you know it from the second you step in there. I was actually on the book tour, and I was at in Washington, D.C. to read at uh, Politics and Prose to do a hungry event there. And after that, I went to Seven Reasons with a couple of college friends, Bobby Hahn and Paul Almanza, just old, old friends of mine. It was fun to see them. And we walked in there, and we were like, oh, wait a second. This is the place. This is This is really a fun place. You know, like you could feel it. And it was kind of like a party. And, and you know, the chef, Enrique Lamardo is from Venezuela. A lot of the team is from Venezuela and from other parts of Latin America. And the whole, the whole restaurant is kind of a, uh, an epic poem about the spirit of Latin America. Now, that sounds pretentious, and that may be off-putting, but it's, it's, it's a party and a poem at the same time. The food has tons of color. It has tons of flavor. It literally has energy like when you're looking at it. It's just the way he does the plating of food is very exciting and kind of over the top. It's it's, it's kind of like extravagant. And um, it's just wildly delicious. And then, um, I mean, Kwame at Kith and Kin, he, he just represents the moment. And he represents the future. Um, you know, we, we are experiencing, thank God, finally, the long overdue ascent of African-American chefs in this country. Um, they have not gotten the fair share of the spotlight in the media for a long time. And um, 
it's finally happening. And there, there's a lot of chefs around the country who are exploring the food of the African diaspora and exploring history and culture through food. Eduardo Jordan in Seattle, Mashama Bailey in Savannah, Georgia, J.J. Johnson here in New York, uh, Omar Tate here in New York, many, many people. And um, to me, Kwame is one of the leaders of that group. Uh, Kwame Amuachi is doing food at Kithin Can that sort of echoes Nigeria, where he has uh, some family roots, and New Orleans and the Caribbean, and his upbringing in the Bronx as well. It's spirited, it's autobiographical. And, you know, here's the thing, man. It's like nothing you've ever tasted. Both Seven Reasons and Kith and Kin, like I would go back there in a a second, but I also think I would go back because what they're doing is so new. It doesn't taste like any, the food doesn't taste like any other restaurant's food at both spots. Similar to what I was saying about Rene Redzepi and Noma. It's like, oh, this is new. It's like when you hear a kind of music that's new, you get excited, you know, like when Nirvana broke through, you know, in 1991, you're like, holy shit, what is this, you know? So um, it's cool to see that happening in Washington, D.C., and I think it tells us something. I think it's very difficult for that to happen now in New York City. It's so expensive in New York City. There are a lot of economic and cultural factors that make it hard to break through, you know? Whereas in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Asheville, North Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, Baltimore, Maryland, all up and down the eastern seaboard, I'm seeing incredible, incredible creativity with cooking. And I think it's often in cities where people, frankly, can afford it. Like the chefs can afford to start a restaurant that takes some risks. So that that part is also uh, why I'm attracted to the story of those two guys, especially Enrique and Kwame, because Enrique came from Baltimore. He has this legendary restaurant, uh, Alma Cocina. I'm going to botch the names because I'm not good at it. Um, Up in Baltimore, that's always on the list. like. Anytime folks come to the D.C., Maryland area and want to see like a list and folks will include sometimes some restaurants up in Baltimore, uh, Alma Cocina, La Alma Cocina, I think it was called. It is called. It's still open is 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 up there and, and a reason to travel from, you know, the, the D.C. area. And we were like very blessed to have him come down and, and, and jump into basically like the middle of the city. And Kwame's story also super interesting, and I'm going to have him on. I haven't had the chance to have him on the pod yet, but um, you know, he tried and failed kind of spectacularly to do a kind of dinner club thing That's right. in Washington in a hot part of town with in kind of this row house where you paid a a, a, fix, a set price and then had this whole kind of eating experience. And he didn't have the the business experience to do that. And, you know, he has a book out. He's, he's got a James Beard award this year. So, you know, kind of the failure, the lessons learned from a failure, um, but the DC creating opportunities for, for both kinds of, of folks to channel their um, own food pathways. And you beat me to the punch. I was interested in asking you about other cities and what you encountered and maybe like, give us a recommendation for a city that's on the come up that we wouldn't necessarily think about, but that has like a crazy kind of interesting food scene going on right now. I, you know, we always have a lot of California spots. I'm from California originally. So we have, you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles and and a place near San Diego, uh, June, a Julie Jolie in uh, Carlsbad, California. But California is kind of obvious. I will tell you that this list, I uh, jokingly with my editors, I said it was kind of like the Acela train list because I we have really great spots in Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and then if you switch trains, Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> right. I would say that the city that excites me the most now is Philadelphia. Oh, Philadelphia. In fact, a friend of mine last night was going to take his son to a nearby city to just explore food, and, and I said, go to Philadelphia. It's a quick train ride, you get off, you can have dinner at Zahav, you can have dinner at Serpico, you can go to Pizzeria Badia, you can go to Soraya for some uh, some Lebanese food, Kalaya for some Vietnam, for some Thai food, um, 
You can go to uh, the Love for some great sort of farm to table. I mean, it's I, it, to me at K- Kifar, which is the new place for Michael Solomonov. It's kind of like an Israeli breakfast spot, bakery. I mean, you could actually spend like ten days, two weeks in Philadelphia, having a different meal, like having every meal at a different place, and you would not be bored. You can get Ethiopian food. Um, Indian food. I, I found it. Inc- I, I did some teaching uh, of writing at Drexel University in Philadelphia this year. So I traveled to Philadelphia a lot. I probably went there like 15, 20 times. And um, I never got bored. I've, I found myself increasingly excited by that city and the spirit of it. You know, like Pizzeria Bedia, which is number four on our Esquire list. This is a place from Joe Bedia. Um, who's been in Philly for a while. He's just a complete geek about pizza. He's completely obsessed, you know, with the dough and the sauce and the cheese and the herbs. And he spends all his time thinking about this, perfecting it, you know, as do the great pizza makers around the country. And that's part of why the restaurant is great. But also another reason it's great is it has a hoagie room. Have you heard of this? No, no, I have not. Yeah, this is it, man. You're, this is your audience's gold mine. This is like heaven. There's a private room at Pizzeria Badia. All restaurants, you know, many restaurants have private rooms. No big deal. But this one, you go in there, I think it only accommodates six people at a time. You have to reserve it in advance. And what they give you is like magnums of wine, like the giant bottles of wine, and artisanal hoagies. Like they make the bread, they make all the hoagies by hand. You know, it, it's just incredible Philly sandwiches and wine. Now, dude, that that to me is like the greatest idea I've ever heard. I'm I'm absolutely <laughs> speechless. Uh, I will tell you, we were fortunate. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I I was fortunate enough. Um, we got invited by uh, Michael Solomonov and Stephen Cook's team to come on up and eat at a bunch of their places a couple years ago. We kind of stumbled into it. We wanted yeah. to do kind of a Philly food tour and ended up just eating at all Solomonov and Cook places. Um, we federal federal uh, district or federal donuts. I'm, I'm going to botch the names because I yeah. don't have it. Uh, we went to Dizengoff's uh, and, you know, the, for the hummus and everything. We went to Zahav. You know, I, I was part of that uh, excursion asked for input from listeners of the show for other places. And it became so apparent. I, I, I loved exploring the food the way that we did. Um, and, and Solomon and cook are a pretty great way to, to eat for, for a couple days. Philly just has so much going on. The South street barbacoa places is, is going on. You know, there's all these, yes. What, yes. What, what, what do you attribute animating force in terms of the diversity of food in Philly? Has that been going on? for a while and it's just now being sort of uh, recognized or is there something else going on? There's something going on there. It's catalytic. It's a little like what happened in Copenhagen when Rene Redzepi opened Noma and he changed the city, you know, and then all these other chefs started doing great restaurants in that city. Um, Mike Salomonov and Zahav, I mean, I guess that opened probably 12 years ago. You know, like we can't discount, the transformative impact of that restaurant. To me, Zahab could be the best restaurant in America. I mean, it's up there with Le Bernardin and well, you know, I, some of the very best places. The, you know, but so there's that sense of like creativity can happen here that's fostered by Salomonov's success. But then, you know, it also has to do with the, the, a lot of the neighborhoods are are cheap, you know, it's compared to New York, the real estate is a lot more affordable and and rentable. And, um, I think there's a little bit of like an edge to Philly, like a little attitude, like, you know, it's a city that's quite close to New York, of course. And yet, you know, it always gets second billing to New York. So I think of a lot of the chefs there enjoy proving Philadelphia can beat New York, you know, like maybe we have better pizza. Maybe we have better hummus. Maybe, you know, we have, maybe we can do everything you can do better with our own spirit. I mean, I really sense that when I'm there, there's a kind of constant underdog aspect to it, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and Serpico is interesting because Peter Serpico worked in the Momofuku empire with David Chang. 
um, created a lot of the ideas there with, with Chang and the other team members, I believe. And then split went to Philly, opened this place, Serpico. And if I were to do a list of like the 20 best restaurants in America that are not new, um, just like places that like the old, the standbys, the places that really deserve, you know, like you want to go back to them again and again. Serpico would be in the top 10 and Zahab would be in the top 10 and probably Pizzeria Bedia will eventually be in the top 10 of that list too. And so that, that tells you something. I think Zahav just won restaurant of the year from the James Beard awards. I think it was like the 2019 restaurant of the year in, in America, which I mean, entirely deserved. Yeah. It's won everything. It's won like outstanding chef, outstanding pastry chef. I don't know. It seems to, Zahav has won like everything. They actually probably got to give it a break for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe he'll get the, uh, the inspiration that, that Renee had and, and Michael just to take off for a while. Yeah, maybe that would but, be interesting. Uh, anyway, um, well, look, I, I uh, greatly appreciate your your time today. This is a hell of a way to end up 2019, the last show of this year, the last show of of the decade. Um, we are we are lifelong friends. Jeff Gordonier, his book. Everybody, go out and get the book. It's hungry, eating, road tripping, and risking it all with the greatest chef in the world. And you can easily Google. His, the, the list, the 22 best restaurants in America, 2019. It's at Esquire. It takes two seconds. Pop it up. Get inspired for some great eating in 2020. Jeff Gordier. Yeah. Thank you so much, my man. Thank you. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. This has been a blast. I'll, go, I'll come back anytime. You're the man. All right, my culinary comrades, my enormous thanks to Jeff Gordnier of Esquire, an incredible conversation, an incredible story. You got to go check out his book. Check out our Instagram at the house of carbs. We're going to be posting a bunch of pictures from Jeff's travels with Renee Redzepi and the entire Noma crew. We're also going to be throwing up some pictures of his uh, travels across the United States where he did some incredible eating this year. Check the at the house of carbs is the Instagram. The other thing I want to ask all of you and thank all of you in advance. Let's post some delicious holiday pictures. What's showing up on your Christmas table, your Hanukkah table, all of these holidays. There's incredible eating going on. Hit us up. We want to get your input. We want a belly source for everybody. This terrific food moment that we're in. Hungry homies, I want to thank you. It's been another incredible year. We're, we love doing the House of Carbs. We're back. We already have an enormous number of delicious shows lined up for 2020. Some incredible people uh, coming up. You're going to remain hungry. We're all going to belly source together. My thanks to you for listening. Hit us up on the gram at the House of Carbs, and we're going to keep on doing a lot of good eating. Until then, my hungry homies. Let's stay hungry out there.